Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to, to go to a familiar passage if you've been uh, following along with us, Isaiah 54, Isaiah 54, and as you're turning there, didn't my wife do an incredible job last week? You know, people have told me all week long, man, we want to hear more from Miss Stacy. Well, if you feel that way, back by popular demand, I'm going to sit down. <laughs> no, it was incredible, absolutely incredible to watch over three services, people get set free. People, God was setting people free from the prison, that there was a beautiful work that was being done. And she did such an incredible job, and so did the whole Arise team. What a great way to finish the Arise Women's Conference with, with such a timely word. And really, that's what we all need in this hour as the church. Uh, frankly, you don't need to hear what Pastor Stacy has to say or Pastor Otis has. We need to hear what God has to say. We need to know what God is saying to us. Why? Because it's God's words that stand forever, not mine, not anyone else's. It is God's words that will stand. It's God's word that will carry you. And I want to release to you what I believe God is speaking to us as a community. It's out of Isaiah 54, and we've been saying it for weeks, but let's read it again. I just get happy reading this chapter. I get happy because it's not just, it's just not, not just an idea, but I am watching God literally unfold this truth in our community. Here it is. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants will inherit the nations and make desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced. For you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Man, this is good. If you need a word from God, here it is. Expand. Expand. Here's the word from God to all of us. It's expand. Now, we've been uh, breaking this down over the period of, of six weeks and... Um, and I want to talk to you about that and actually help you continue in this because we don't want the expansion to end with a sermon series. We want God to uh, continually expand us. The very first week, we talked about expanding our legacy. This is out of verse 1. How many are the children of the barren woman? They're going to be more than the married woman. God was saying, I'm going to give you many descendants. And I know that week a lot of women got nervous. I heard somebody in the hallway today, man, don't drink the water at Calvary. <laughs> Why? Because I, I think there's, I think now we're up to eight newborns being born in the fall. Glory to God. By the way, the fall is typically harvest season. You need to understand that many are your descendants. And I know some of you in here is like, ooh, pastor. No, no, no. 
Many are your spiritual descendants. This is what God is saying. He's saying your barren season is over. The idea that you are, are going to just live, uh, you just, just call ourselves Christian and then just keep moving through life and never produce anything for the kingdom of God, never partner with God, never see lives change. I have this question for you. Will anybody be in heaven because of you? Don't be mad at me. I want to know. We know no one gets to heaven because of us. We, it's all because of Jesus. But how many of us are going to partner with that work and say, hey, I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to be the one. And God says, this is the season where you're coming out of your barrenness, where your life will produce. With all those babies on the way, that's why we need you in nursery. No joke. No joke. For real, sign up in Jesus' name or I'll cast the devil off of you. All right. <laughs> the second thing is God says, I want you to expand your environment. Remember what he said? He said, he said uh, uh, you're, you're going to have to lengthen your curtains. He said, I want you to stretch out those curtains. What's that speak to? It says, how many people am I called to cover? How many am I supposed to, how many am I supposed to disciple, Lord? How many supposed to, am I supposed to? And he said, lengthen your cords, do not spare. You know what that suggests to me? That people are holding back in their relationship with God. Come on. Come on. We're, 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 we're a little bit, you know, in the kingdom and we're a little bit in the world. We're, 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 we're like a little bit, you know, we're, we're Christian, but, you know, we'll say things like, well, I'm not that saved. Oh, maybe I'm preaching to the holy crowd in second service. Okay. They were shouting me down in first service. Okay. No, you have to understand that there is some space for God to increase in our lives. He says, do not spare, lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes. That means I'm going to grow in deeper intimacy. That's what you do. When God says, I want to make you a covering for other people, I got to lengthen my cords. I got to strengthen the stakes where I am, I am, I am saying, God, I'm going to grow in intimacy with you. I'm going to know your word and your will and your way. And I'm going to get digging down deep into who you are. I'm going to grow that environment. Now, when we say we're going to grow an environment, there is something practical going on here. Where, listen, in Jesus' name, this sanctuary is going to expand this year. Come on. Yeah, we're going to knock out these walls. This is going back, you know. That's just so we can handle the growth while, while we are reaching toward and, and planning for and building the new building on the 20 acres of commercial property right there on 486. All of that is coming. And I want to tell you, it's as good as built. It's as good as built. God, everything we need, God has it, and it's coming in. Everything we need. And we're all going to be a part of that. And, but I, I do want, I, I want to aim your prayers specifically when it comes to our environment. We are praying for favor, especially in our expansion here, with permits. Glory to God. Y'all, sometimes our prayers need to get a little more practical. Here's what we're praying for our permit. We want a Philip anointing on our permit. You know what happened to Philip, right? God sent him to a desert. He found an Ethiopian. 
baptized him in water, when the Ethiopian came up out of the water, God grabbed Philip and put him way over in a city called Azotus. I want God to grab our permit from the bottom. I ain't laughing. In Jesus' name. Not because I'm interested in bigger spaces, because I'm interested in the faces that will walk through the door. I'm interested in the faces who have come in, who walked into this service and said, there are no seats. There are seats, I see them. But they'll come into moments and they'll say, hey, there's not a seat for me in that service, so I'll, I'll, I'll just go on. Here's what I'm saying. I'm interested in seeing the work of God flourish in their lives too. And so God says, I'm going to expand your environment. Why? Because there are people, it's all about people covering them with the truth of God, the truth about who he is, and getting them to walk with him. And then, you know, in week three, we talked about growing in influence. That means to the right and to the left. When God says expand to the right and to the left, he says there's some new areas. By the way, when God speaks of expansion, we must embrace new we must embrace something that God has deposited on the inside of you that has been lying dormant, that is waiting for a fresh fire from heaven to come and to activate. And here's what I'm announcing to you is that God is activating the ministries in you. And there are things that we're going to step into personally that are going to cause us to expand corporately. I believe the more that we say, God, expand us to the right and to the left, there will be new kinds of ministries popping up. There'll be new things of, of growth. Listen, three years ago, we didn't have a foster care ministry, and now we have one that is exploding. Why? Because God said, new, do it now. Do it now. Then Peter Warren came and really shared on vision. About having to lift up our eyes and get our eyes off our circumstance. I followed that with a message on first Wednesday about how to receive vision from the Lord out of Habakkuk 2. If you didn't get to listen to those messages, please go and listen to that. Why? Because it is very important that we as the people of God, that we don't live reactionary to what happens, but we live by vision. That way, when, when trouble comes... We see it as just simply something to overcome to get to what God showed us. When we live reactionary, we think, oh no, God's judging me. Oh no, this is brokenness. What do I do here? I, I want to tell you that you are meant to live out God's purpose for you. And he will reveal it to you if you'll do what the Lord said. And of course, last week. We're talking about expanding our faith, which ultimately landed in the place that great faith in God experiences great grace from God to do what he said to do. That we have to trust his father, fathering. That we need to forgive even when it's hard. And we experience that in this room. That when we step out in faith, 
God's grace and power will meet us and he will enable us to do what he has called us to do. Now, today, I want to look at this final verse, verse 5, as we speak about expanding our worship. Verse 5 is a powerful verse and it says this, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. This is the moment where where the prophet literally breaks into worship after God is is speaking and saying, Hey, by the way, here's my plan for you. Here's how you're going to expand. Here's what it's going to look like. You're going to restore cities. You're going to, you're going to go to people who are stunned and in silence by the devastation that they have experienced. And you are going to restore those people. You're going to be people who, who, as the scripture says, it says, who remember their shame, the shame of their youth no more. That actually is, by the way, if you wanted to know what that is referring to, that's referring to Egypt. Egypt was the bondage of Israel's youth. And then they experienced another bondage to Babylon, which was their widowhood. So those two things, God says, listen... You're not going to remember your Egypt, your sin. And he says, you're not going to remember the captivity of your confusion. That's what Babylon means, confusion, sown in confusion. He says, you're not even going to remember that. Why? Because I am going to reveal who I am to you. And if you will live from the place of worship, you will live his mission for your life. Let me tell you really what worship is and why it's so important to us uh, here at, at Calvary. Just in case you're wondering, we do not have song services here. So, if you're sipping your coffee during the singing, you're missing the part of, uh, of the service God shows up for. I hate to break it to you. I'm strong enough to live with this truth. The Holy Spirit is not sitting in here with his notepad today saying, wow, Pastor Otis, I had no idea about that revelation. Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) You know who that's for. That's for you. You know who who the, the worship is for? That's for him. The worship is for him. I'm going to give you some truth today. Let me, can, can you handle the truth? Listen, you see, those moments in worship, worship is the mirror in which image bearers are invited to become more like the one they behold. You did not hear me. Worship is the mirror in which image bearers are invited to become more like the one they behold. How can you tell someone's got a broken mirror when it comes to the image of God? They worship like this. Because they think God is indifferent to them. That's the mirror. 
But you know what worship really is? It's the opportunity to behold him as he is. And never forget this. This is what Genesis says. God says, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. How many of you know we fell? We're a few warts and a whole lot of sin away from the garden, okay? We've done a whole lot of falling. But when you come into worship, you get to come into that mirror of who he is. You worship him and you behold him. And according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what it says. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. You ought to come in. Listen, you don't worship God better. Based upon your performance or who you think you are, we need to come in and worship God for who He is. And in moments of worship, we will be transformed into His likeness, in character, in countenance, in the way we carry His presence to a broken world. Oh, that's why we've got to expand our worship. You should write this down. Living on the frontier of revelatory worship of Jesus will lead to the longing for the fulfillment of his plan for your life. Living on the frontier of revelatory worship. What's that mean? If you ever think you know him, you have ceased from growing. When Abraham was just beginning to encounter God, God says, look up at the stars and count them. I love what God says. If you can. He's saying, listen, your brain is limited. Your, your, Your intellect is limited. You have a limited understanding. And I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. Oh, the Bible says we see him through a glass darkly. But aren't you glad that God gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? But we have to come in and say, God, in worship, I'm going to live on the frontier of that revelation. I want to know you more tomorrow than I did yesterday show me who you are show me and it is out of that that a longing comes in your heart saying I want to fulfill your call on my life oh there's plenty pulling on us to walk away plenty of voices trying to pervert the image bearers on the earth But it's worship that becomes that fuel that thrusts us into God's plan. So what we can learn here today from all of this as God is releasing his, his, his plan to us that is, is that it is revelatory worship of him that will propel us into our destiny. First of all, you need to worship him as creator. Let me give you some places to worship him. You need to worship him as creator. I love love what it says here in verse 5. It says, for your maker. For your maker. That means this. Your beginning. Your uniqueness. Your strengths. Even some of your weaknesses. Not all of them. Some of your weaknesses have been crafted by God. 
I know him as creator. And isn't it interesting that in this hour, there is an assault against how image bearers, human beings, have been created. What a lie released in culture that someone could be born or created in the wrong body. And, and, and what kind of foolishness to think that man can fix that? We can't even put furniture together from Ikea without missing parts. <laughs> and if you trust man to shape your identity, you'll end up missing parts. That was for somebody right in here. Listen, we got to know him as creator. I think that this is an element we, we, we don't connect with in the way that David connected with God this way in his worship. You see, in Psalm 139, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You ever talk to God this way? No, you read about other people talking to God this way. But when you read about the way that David is talking here, it is an invitation for you to have this kind of worshipful conversation with God. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Come on, did you say that this morning? No, no, no. You got in the mirror this morning. You were like, ooh, I fear I'm going to have to have that spot removed. <laughs> we don't have this kind of, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what the Satan will come to do? They say, if you start talking that way to God, you're full of pride. No, you're full of biblical humility. Biblical humility is daring to say the truth about what God has declared over you. When you start saying what God has declared over you, you will become, oh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How about this? Marvelous are your works. Oh, you've gone too far now, pastor. You're going to have a whole lot of prideful people in your church. No, no, no. I'm going to have biblical image bearers who worship God as creator. God's your creator. Don't accept a liar coming to say that you're less than marvelous. And that my soul knows very well. Man, are we living in a generation where, where young people do not know the value of who they have been created by God to be? Oh, that's a, they, their souls don't know it. Their emotions don't know it. And it proved out by the fact that they will take uh, razors and cut themselves in hopes that, the, that those endorphins that are released through their bodies will somehow give them momentary relief from the internal pain. 
I promise you, their souls don't know it well. And we as the church have missed this truth that if we'll begin to worship God as our creator, we will actually dispel the thoughts that come that say, mistake, not enough, unloved, unusable. We'll dispel those thoughts. Listen, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Listen, this is what I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about intimacy with God. You see, when you get into the place of worship and adoration and devotion to God in his word, and you begin to pray for him, let me give you a legal prayer. Heavenly Father, today, would you please take my book off the shelf, the one that contains all of my days, and here I am in your presence. Just read a couple pages to me. Come on, Lord, just tell me who you have me to be, who you have me to minister to today, the heart that I take. Lord, you don't have to show me everything because I trust your leading, and I'll follow you as, as a witness. But Lord, why don't you just read a few pages to me? And guess what? He will. He will. The problem is, is that we have never thought enough of ourselves to ask what's available to us. Look how it goes on. It says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I, when I awake, I'm still with you. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Florida right now is becoming brighter and brighter. Maybe not for the reasons that you think. It's because right now, all of our neighbors who have been trapped in the frigid north are coming down and they are going to explode onto beaches everywhere. And the brightness of their shining will be seen. And they're like, yes! All of this free vitamin D. And they'll be laying out on the beach and they'll be enjoying themselves. And despite their planning and their YouTube watching videos and everything, they will get up from the beach covered in sand. Now they're going to do their best. They're going to be like, kids, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get all this sand off of us, and we're going to make sure that we do everything that we can. We're going to shower. We're going to do everything that we can to keep the sand out of the car. I know some of you are like, oh, no, you don't shower. You baby powder. <laughs> then you leave the beach more white than when you came. Here's, here's the facts. If you go to the beach, sand is getting in the car. 
When you come into God's house and you've been in a worship service, there ought to be sand in your car. He said, how precious are your thoughts. How vast the sum of them. If I were to number them, it wouldn't be like the sea on the, like the sand on the seashore. It'd be all the sand on planet Earth. And you know what people come to me all the time? Pastor, I need an appointment. I need an appointment. Why? I just can't hear anything God's saying about me. You know what I'm going to say, right? Go to the beach. You need to get into the sand of God's thoughts. They are vast and they are many. Are you telling me you can come to a worship service like this and you don't walk out with one grain of sand? Not one thought? <laughs> Listen, you need to remember what I'm about to say to you. When the Lord spoke this to me... it. It was powerful. It shook me on the inside. If we fail to fulfill God's call upon us, it won't be because of God's thoughts about us. It will be because of what we think about God's thoughts toward us. God has it all mapped out for us. He's got good plans for us. Hope in a future. We get in the sand. We're like, Pfft. not me. Uh uh. That can't be right about me. I want to challenge you that when God is saying expand, that you would expand your worship and that you would, you would just jump off in the deep end of the things that he's thinking about you, in the way that he thinks about you. And that sometimes as creator, we think that when, when we relate to him as creator, there is a distance between creator and creation, which is why he said, your maker is your husband. Because our creator made a covenant with us. And marriage is the only thing on planet earth that actively shows mankind how committed he is to us and our well-being. Having his thoughts, his desires, his work in our life come to pass. Let me give you uh, some of, of God's thoughts about you and his commitment to you in covenant. If you're talking about marriage, you need to look at Ephesians chapter 5, which is really a revelation of God's thoughts as a husband and bridegroom to us. It says this, husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. When's the last time you just woke up and said, man, I'm sanctified. I'm set apart. 
That's what this says. This, by the way, it's not I set myself apart. It's that Christ loved us and he sets us apart. And cleanses us. How? He says, all right. That's up to you. No. He cleanses us by the washing of the water of his word. What are his words? His words are his thoughts toward us. His desire for us. His plan for us. He says, I'm going to wash you and I'm going to cleanse you. I'm go- I know you came out of Egypt, but I intend by my word to get Egypt out of you. To make you stop thinking like a slave and suddenly to begin to live like a son or a daughter. And if you'll start agreeing with God, I'm sanctified. I'm set apart. I'm cleansed by the washing of the word. Oh, that thing that's gripping you today. Oh, it's going to, it's going to start to lose its grip. And look, look. Why is he doing it? That he might present her to himself, a glorious church. There's coming a union a coming together. And Jesus says, I'm getting you ready. I'm getting you ready. It's going to be a glorious union, a glorious church. Not having, what, spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I'm all for you giving God your yes. But holy and without blemish is a two-sided coin. And the one side you really need to think about is that he makes you holy and he makes you without blemish. The Presbyterians aren't talking to me today. <laughs> he makes you holy. He makes you without blemish. That's why you should worship him as your creator who has made a covenant with you. Listen, covenant involves blood. The word covenant means to cut. There was never a covenant made in the Old Testament without the shedding of blood. And by the way, the co- a covenant is usually a weaker party making a covenant with a stronger party. But in this case, God had no equal. He had, there was nothing that we could give God. So when he made a covenant through the shed blood of Jesus, he said, I'm the strong one. I'm going to make a covenant with myself and going to bring them in by faith in what my son does. So you need to hear me today. He is making you with Without spot, without wrinkle, holy, set apart for his use in this hour. And since we're on the topic, Jesus is our bridegroom. He's our husband here in Ephesians 5. And listen to me, he never talks divorce. He never talks divorce. You may hear voices in your head that say, oh, God's done with you. God's rejecting you. No, read your Bible. In the Old Testament, God says, I'm married to the backslider. You don't know how deep his commitment is to you. He says, I'm married to you. I love you. I love you the way a husband is supposed to love of a wife. And listen, she needs cleansing. There needs to be some ironing. There's some things to get washed and to be removed. But 
I am not leaving her. I'm in covenant relationship with her. Listen to me, church. You can worship your creator because you're in a covenant with him. And he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Careful, church, that you don't start looking to other lovers as our culture is trying to seduce you into. You walking out on your marriage is not God walking out on the marriage. That's another thing altogether. Jesus isn't talking divorce with you. He's committed to you. Let me give you just a couple of other things quickly. When we are worshiping, we need to worship him as commander. He's creator, but he's also commander. It says, the Lord of hosts is his name. That means in Hebrew, Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh Sabaoth is his name. It means the commander of angel armies. Why in the world does he bring this up? I mean, in the middle of this worshipful moment, this is who God is. Why does he bring it up? Because when God gives you a word brings you into the kingdom and says, I want you to start to expand. I want you to cover more people. I want you to, re- I want you to reach more people. You need to expect opposition. Anybody give their life to Christ and things got worse in the natural? Some of y'all are like, I don't know. I was like six. Well, All right, how about when you really surrendered your life to God? Did anything start shaking? Anything start coming against you? You know why? Some of you, maybe you gave your life to Christ later on. And you're like, man, I thought everything was going to be a cruise ship. Jesus paid it all. and Takes me to the pizza buffet at midnight. And I don't gain any weight in the kingdom. Come on. No, no. See, when you got born again and you said, now I'm going to worship you and live out your plan for my life, it's not until you're a threat that the the devil starts to mess with you. You're like, I never had any spiritual opposition. You might not be doing anything. But when you start advancing, when you start expanding, the Bible says in 1 Peter, he said, you need to be sober. You need to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. They're saying this. I know, I know what Satan whispers in your ear when you're going through it, right? You're the only one. Why does everybody else have it so easy? Why am I the only one dealing with finances? Why am I the... Everybody else's family looks perfect. Can we just pull back the veil for a minute? Nobody's family is perfect. The devil wants you to think 
you're the only one. But no, these sufferings and opposition come against every believer who is committed to partnering with God. But what's the Bible say? Resist him. Oh, it goes on to tell us that if you submit to God and resist the devil, that cat runs away, which is technically what all cats are supposed to do in my life. I'll be careful. This is being broadcast. You say, well, what do I do right now? Because I feel like I'm surrounded by a pride of lions. I feel like the enemy's all around in my life. I got these things that are pressing. You're talking about expansion, and all I feel is the things that are arrayed against me. You know what you need to do? You need to worship you need to worship when you feel surrounded. You need to begin to worship in that moment. You need to begin to turn your eyes to heaven and worship. I got to tell you, there was a moment in the Old Testament when the enemies were, were coming uh, uh, against Judah and coming against, uh, against the people of God, and they would make this plan. And because there was a man named Elisha who, who was a, had a hearing ear, the scheme of the enemy would get exposed. Matter of fact, his advisor says, you know, it's like somebody is in your bedroom. Your plans, the plans of the enemy just get exposed. So the enemy says, we're taking out the ones who can hear God. And Elisha says, it, it, it goes through this moment where armies come at night. And surround him and his servant. Now listen to me. There's a lesson to be learned before I read this scripture to you. Even the people closest to you may not be able to see what you see. I'm going to read this to you. It says this. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Oh, I wish for a moment we could see what's going on in the unseen realm. Some of you wonder. You drove to church. That felt like a bee's nest in your car. You fought all the way. As soon as you got out of the car, it's like peace came. Then you come into this building and all the confusion that you've been dealing with, suddenly, man, I can think clearly in here. Well, if you could see in the unseen realm, you would see that you left the demon behind and the angels that we have been inviting here have been on guard. And while they let you in, they would not let your tormentors in. So I would recommend... That as you leave today and you open the door, tell them to get out. Get out. Get out. 
come out in Jesus' name. That was mass deliverance right there. Aren't you glad that when you worship God, Psalm 34 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and what? Delivers them. Oh, what do you give yourself to? I'm worshiping God. I fear God. I'm living for his plan. And the angel of the Lord is working in the unseen realm. And he says, oh, I'm cutting down that scheme. I'm, I'm stopping that plan. I'm doing things that you may not even ever be aware of. We need to worship him as the commander of the, of the host of angelic armies. Who is protecting us even when we don't know it. That is where this statement comes from. Worship is not a peacetime luxury. It's a wartime solution. Worship is not a peacetime luxury. It's a wartime solution. That means if you find yourself in a battle, it's time to worship. If you find yourself uh, like the enemy's arrayed against you, it's time to praise God anyway. When the diagnosis comes, you begin to lift up a holy chorus to the Lord and say, God, I've still got a reason to praise. I've still got a reason to sing. That's why he says, before anything changes, Changes, barren woman, sing. This whole chapter starts with sing. And verse 5, it ends in worship. By the way, this whole chapter ends with a very famous verse. Isaiah 54, 17. Oh, you know it. You may not know the chapter and verse and location. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. That means their equity is from me. Their authority is from me. So the weapon formed against you will not prosper because you're wor worshiping a God who is a commander. I pray you get that in your spirit. I pray as we are expanding and we experience a little turbulence, listen, we're not stopping. I'm just declaring to you today. You can look at me. You say, man, pastor got crazy eyes today. No, these are faith <laughs> eyes today. Listen, that building over on 486 is already built. This building is already expanded. Why? Because it's just mud and everything on this planet is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is his and everything we need is coming in. All supply is coming in. Why? Because God is interested in expanding his kingdom in this region. And if he will find a people who will worship him, oh, I promise you it'll flow right out of us. Let me give you this final little thought. We need to worship him as Christ. Worship, listen to these words, your Christ. Not just the Christ, your Christ. Do you remember what it says? It says, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He's the God of the whole earth. When, when God is letting us in on the story of redemption, and it's unfolding through the ages over Israel, he utters words like this in Isaiah 43, verse 1. He says, he says, 
But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, there it is again, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have, listen to these words, redeemed you. I've called you by your name, you're mine. What does it mean when God says the one who created you redeems you? It means he buys us back. All of humanity sold into the slave market of sin. You see, at that time, if a Jew were to in, in, enter into indenture servitude, the only way to come out of that servitude is to have the debt paid in full, either through service, through what you could physically do, or someone else comes along and pays your debt. This is what God has done. And we as the church, if you don't know what to worship God for, if you've been born again in this place, you can worship your Christ. Because what did he do? He paid the price we could never pay for a debt he didn't owe. Also, that we could come into the family of God. Ephesians 1, 7, finish with this. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. You've got reason to worship today if you're in relationship with God. And listen, if you're here under the sound of my voice and you say, I don't have, a, I don't know God the way you're talking about him today. I'm gonna, I'm, I just want to let you know, God wants to give you today a reason to worship. Because the price has been paid and he is opening the door of salvation to you.